Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Well, good morning again. We have been in a series since the start of the year on spiritual gifts. Today, we're going to take a time out from that series. Just had a message I wanted to share with you. We'll get back to the spiritual gifts next week. Uh, But today, I want to talk a little bit about the mercy of God. When we read through the Bible, uh, we discover who God is. The Bible tells us what God's character is like. It tells us what his priorities are. It tells us so much about who God is. And so uh, one of the aspects of who God is is that he is merciful. We uh, read in Psalm chapter 103 and verse 8, the psalmist writes, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is in mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 sums up very well that uh, God is rich in mercy. Now there's a flip side to God's mercy, and that is that God is also a God of judgment. Psalm chapter 9 and verse 7 says, The Lord has established his throne in justice, or for justice, as Isaiah 30 and verse 18 says, For the Lord is a God of justice, blessed are those who wait for him, that is, who wait for his justice. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7 says, That when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, verse 8, in flaming fire, he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey his gospel. Um, So the question for us is, the important question is, how do I make sure I'm on the receiving end of God's mercy and rather than God's judgment, right? What makes the difference between me receiving God's mercy versus me receiving God's judgment? And so that's what we want to talk about today. How do we unlock the mercy of God? Jesus answers that question with a story that he tells from Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there or you can follow along with us on the screen. All the verses will be up on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 18. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet as we do each week here for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Again, this is a story that Jesus tells, answering the question, how do you unlock the mercy of God? Here we go, beginning at verse 9. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So again, this is Jesus telling us a story here about how we can unlock the mercy of God. Let's kind of dive into the story together. It begins at verse 10. He says that two men, telling a story here, um, went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. So we learn here that there are two main characters in Jesus' story. One is a Pharisee. The other is a tax collector. Let's kind of start with the Pharisee and learn what it is that we know about Pharisees. Well, Pharisees were rabbis. They were Jewish preachers. They were like super rabbis, though. They were like the Navy SEALs of the rabbis, right? They were really into uh, Jewish religion. They were fanatics about the Old Testament law. They were fanatics about observing all the Jewish feasts and festivals. And they had 613 rules that they kept every day of their life. Think about it, 613 rules that they had to keep every day, every waking moment as they went through their day. 
Um, they believed that if they kept those rules, that they could earn their way into God's good graces. They believed if they kept those rules, they could get God to accept them. They believed if they kept those rules, they could, get, they could impress God, and that God would say, hey, you know what? I really like this guy because he keeps all 613 of my rules. For example, Rabbi Shimeon ben Jokai writes in the Jewish Talmud. Now, this comes from the second century, okay? So this is a few years back ago. He, said, he writes, if there were only 30 righteous people in the world, remember this guy's a Pharisee, if there's only 30 righteous people in the world, he said, I and my son should be two of them. Right? I, can you imagine? I mean, this guy, he's just totally self-righteous. He's got a huge head. He thinks very well, well of himself. He says if there's only 30 esteemed people, if there's only 30 righteous people, if there's only 30 people in the world to, to impress the rest of the world, men of integrity, he said, I and my son should be two of them. And then he goes on to write, as if that wasn't enough, he says, and if there were only but one righteous person in the world, myself should be that one. Uh-huh. I didn't hear that, but anyhow, I'm sure it was good. <laughs> we do know I need a little help with my jokes up here sometimes, so I appreciate the help. Um, so yeah, I mean, this guy, he's totally full of himself, but then he goes on to write this. I mean, if, if that was not enough, listen to what this guy writes. He says, my worthiness is so great that during my lifetime, no rainbow need to shine to ensure immunity from another flood. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about the flood of Noah and how after the flood of Noah that God had put a sign of a rainbow in the sky and that God said, as long as the rainbow's there, it will remind me that I'll never again destroy the earth. So this guy's saying, as long as I'm on the earth, you don't need a rainbow. You got me. God's not going to flood the earth. God's not going to destroy the earth. God's not going to do anything to the earth as long as I'm here because God just loves me so much. I mean, this guy had a huge opinion of himself. He was a Pharisee. So that's the kind of people we're talking about here. And you can see his elitism in his prayer. It says in verse 11, he writes, The Pharisee standing by himself, he rose to his feet, and he prays out loud for everyone to hear, right? It's not just some little prayer. He prays to himself. He prays for everyone to hear. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like the scummy old tax collector standing over here against the wall. He says this out loud for the guy to hear. Um, and so we can see here that God, that he's, he just, again, has a really high opinion of himself. Verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get to the temple. Again, do you notice who the star of the prayer is? That's right. It's not, it's not the Lord. It's not God. The star of the prayer is himself. He's looking at himself. He's thinking about himself. Four times he says, I this. Four times he says, I that. I the other thing. There's no confession of sin in his prayer because he didn't think he had any sin to confess. There's no asking of God for anything because he didn't think God had anything that he needed because there was no real thankfulness in his heart. He didn't thank God for anything. He just felt like, you know what? I provided all of it for myself. And look at the despising that he has of others in this prayer. He looks over toward this poor tax collector, and instead of feeling pity for him, instead of praying for this tax collector, he actually uses his prayer as an opportunity to rebuke the tax collector out loud in the temple in front of everybody else. Now, there's another character in Jesus' story, and that's the tax collector. What do we know about tax collectors? Well, we know that the tax collectors worked for the Roman occupying government. That is, that the Romans were, had come into Judea, had come into the land of Israel, and they had taken over. Um, were, Israel was a, a strategic 
uh, thoroughfare moving down into northern Africa. And so the Romans really needed this area. They needed the salt mines of Israel. And so they had come in, they had taken over Israel. And this tax collector worked for the Roman occupying government. So the Romans were the bad guys, right? They had come in, they had taken over Israel, they had taken over the Jewish land, they were running the show, and the tax collectors worked for the bad guys. You follow me? But the tax collectors were also Jewish, so they were working for the people that were against their own. So they were considered traitors, and so the Jewish people loathed them, they hated them, and as far as Jewish people were concerned, tax collectors were considered the lowest uh, rung on the food chain. Um, tax collectors were not allowed, for example, to give testimony in any court in Israel. Nobody believed a word that they had to say. They just figured they were liars. We don't want to hear what they have to say. They'll come into the court, they'll make a vow before God, and they'll lie. Um, number two, it says that they tax collectors, and you, if you had a tax collector in your family, it was considered a public disgrace. So if you had somebody that went on into the tax collecting business out of your family, it disgraced that person as well as your whole family. And third, tax collectors were not allowed inside any synagogue in all of Israel. The only place that they could go, because they were Jewish, according to the law, they were allowed to go inside of the temple. So if this tax collector wants to go and find a moment's peace to pray a prayer to God, the only place where he can do that is to go to the temple. I mean, they would run him out on a rail if he had shown up in one of the synagogues. Now look at the tax collector's prayer. It says, verse 13, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. That is, he wouldn't even look up toward God. And the text says that he beat his breast, which was a sign of agony, which was a sign of his um, feeling of unworthiness. He was gripped by his sin. He was gripped by being a traitor of his own people. He was gripped by the fact. Now, one of the things about tax collectors, too, I mean, they could basically the way that things were set up for tax collectors is the Romans said, hey, look, you can work this particular area, this particular tax booth, and you can collect taxes from all the people who are traveling through this area. Um, and we want this much money. But anything that you get above that amount of money, you can keep for yourself. And so that's how tax collectors ingratiated themselves. That's how they made money. They collected taxes for the Romans that they said they were going to, and then anything they got above that, they put in their own pockets. So again, this guy was a traitor to his people. Um, he was, in so many respects, considered dishonest. And so he beats on his breast because he feels the shame of all the money that he's taken, he's extorted from his own people. He wouldn't even approach God. His whole relationship with God, friends, could be summed up in seven simple words. It says there in verse 13, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Not trying to hide who he is. See, this guy had no merit of his own. He couldn't say, I'm not a robber. Because he was. He'd taken money from his own people. He couldn't say, I'm not an extortioner. Because he was. He couldn't say, I've not given money to missionaries, I've not given money to the temple, because he hadn't. He kept all of his money for himself. He said he couldn't say that he fasted twice a week because he never did. He didn't have any of that stuff to give to God, any of that religious performance. He just said, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Look at what God does. Verse 14. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, referring to the tax collector, went home to his house justified rather than the other. That is, he went home to his house forgiven by God. He went home to his house uh, with the mercy of God. He went home to his house right with God. He went home with heaven in his pocket. That's how he went home, very different than the Pharisee. Jesus said, verse 14, because everyone who exalts himself like this Pharisee will be humbled, that is, will be brought down, but the one who humbles himself will be exhausted, or will be exalted. The main point of all this, which 
is which one of these guys experienced the mercy of God? Which one of these guys experienced uh, God's outpouring of compassion and forgiveness? It wasn't the Pharisee with all of his religious performance. It was the tax collector who came humbly before God um, and sought God's face saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. All right, well, that's our story for today. That's our treatment of this text. And so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I don't even know any tax collectors, right? And I certainly don't know any Pharisees. So what difference does any of this make to me? Um, how, you know, I got to get grades turned in this week. I got to get off to work on Monday. Uh, what difference does this make to where I'm living? Well, that's a really great question. Let's take a little bit of time to answer that. The first thing I would say is, um, you know, how do we then unlock the mercy of God? What's Jesus teaching us here in this story? Well, first of all, I want to tell you how we should not unlock the mercy of God. And we can discover that by looking at the, by looking at the life of this Pharisee. How not, how not to get... I was worried this week that <clears throat> that was going to happen because it was, it was building up all weekend. But anyhow, hopefully we'll, we'll make it through the sermon. Jesus, help me. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, so how not to uh, unlock the mercy of God. How you can make sure that God's mercy will not come your way. Number one... You won't get it through good works. Isn't that what the Pharisee did? The Pharisee was offering God all of his good works, and the rabbi, and, the, and he was a, you know, the, the guy in this story um, says, look, I'm not an extortioner. I'm not a robber. I'm not unjust. Um, I, have all, I don't do evil deeds. I'm not like this tax collector over here. God, I'm a law-abiding, an upstanding, a respectable member of society. Um, God, I'm not like the rest of those folks. And yet, did that unlock God's mercy for him? No. No, it didn't at all. Um, he was an upstanding member of society. I'm sure he was part of the who's who of Jerusalem. I'm sure he was a part of the Lions Club. Maybe he had a Rotary Club membership or something like that. Probably had his name on some plaque around town because he had done some charitable giving to the local orphanage or something. I'm sure that everybody thought what a great guy this is. But again, the question is, did that unlock the mercy of God doing all those good works? No, no, it didn't. Second, we cannot unlock the mercy of God through our own human status, that is by our position in society. Again, this guy was a Pharisee, right? He had 613 rules that he observed. He had all this status in society. People looked up to him and thought well of him because, of, because he had achieved the pinnacle in the social ladder. There was no higher place that he could possibly go. And again, did that get him the mercy of God? No. Third, and finally, does the mercy of God does not come through good works. It doesn't come through human status. Third and finally, it does not come through religious activity. I mean, this guy was a religious professional, right? He, had, he was a card-carrying member, right? He, had, he, he did religion as a profession. He was a professional clergy. He had these 613 rules that he kept every day, gave 10% of everything that he earned to the temple, fasted twice a week, I have found out many years ago that there's two kinds of people in this world. There are people who eat to live, and there's people like me who live to eat, right? Um, I did a, I've done a number of fasts over the num past number of years. Some of y'all are aware of that. And I have learned through doing those fasts that I love food. I really love food. I mean, my wife has a hard time. She was just telling me again this past week how hard it is for her to keep food in our house. I mean, I'm just like a, a, a never-ending, I'm back and forth to the kitchen all through the evening. All th I come home after work, and I, sit, I have like a pre-dinner dinner, right? <laughs> and then I have, sit down at the table, and I have dinner, and then I have dessert. And then after dessert, I have a snack. And then after my snack, I have to have a dessert for my snack, right? And then before I go to bed, I have to have, you know, pre-bedtime dinner. So 
I'm constantly, it's just unreal how much food I take. And that's why I run all the time, to try and offset all my caloric intake, I guess. But in any case, in case, I love food. The point is, this guy fasted twice a week, right? Twice a week. And did any of that religious performance win him the mercy of God? The answer is no. You say, well, Gordon, if you can't unlock the mercy of God through good works, and you can't unlock the mercy of God by being a respectable member of society, and you can't unlock the mercy of God through religious performance, then how do we do it? How do we unlock the mercy of God? Well, we do it, we said earlier, by coming the way the tax collector came to God. And there are three ingredients of how he came to God, and I want to share those with you. Number one, the tax collector came to God humble. He came to God humble. That is, he came to God mourning. He came to God grieving about his sinfulness, about the things that he had done over the course of his life. And so that's why he stood at a distance from God. And that's why he beat his breast. And that's why he held his head down. Folks, over and over again in the Bible, God declares that this is the kind of heart that God is looking for, that this is the kind of attitude that will unlock his mercies. This is the kind of heart that will get forgiveness. This is the kind of heart that will get compassion from Almighty God. Isaiah 57 and verse 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in a high and holy place. That's God speaking. He says, look, I'm high and lofty. I'm holy. I'm not like the rest of everybody else. I'm my own thing. I'm holy. Y'all are not. I am. And he says, however, despite the fact that I live in heaven, despite the fact that I live in my high and holy place, he says, I also dwell with him who is contrite, that is humble and lowly of spirit. He said, to revive the one who is humble of spirit, to revive the one who feels contrite. And then Jesus in our story, our Psalm chapter 51 and verse 7 says, the sacrifices of God, what is he looking for? Are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite spirit, the psalmist writes, O God, you will not despise. And then what did Jesus say right here in our story? Luke chapter 18 and verse 14, he said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, folks, every great man and woman of God who ever lived had this deep sense of humility before God that comes from a deep awareness of their own corruption before a holy and awesome God. When Peter realized who Jesus was, he said, Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. David said, Psalm 51 and verse 7, he said, For I know my transgressions and my sin are ever before me. Isaiah, when he had his vision of God in heaven, said, Isaiah 6 and verse 5, Woe is me. So Isaiah is looking up through the clouds. He pokes his head up through the clouds of heaven. He sees God seated on his throne, this holy God, and he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He felt cut to the heart when he realized that he was who he was in the presence of a holy God. And then the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, writes of his own self. He says that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. You say, Gordon, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It seems to me that if I was to take on this kind of a self-outlook, it would lead to the worst form of depression. I mean, if I walked around all the time saying, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips— I'm the worst among sinners. I mean, that would just make me terribly depressed, wouldn't it? Well, that's a really great question, but the answer is no. It's actually just the opposite. Because when we come to God with our hearts broken, when we come to God 
with feelings of, of humility, friends, God floods our heart with his forgiveness. He floods our heart with his compassion. He floods our mind and our life with his goodness and his mercy and his love. And we feel restored and we feel valued and we feel clean. So number one, the first way that we unlock the mercy of God is to come to him like the tax collector came with a deep sense of humility. Number two, the tax collector came into God's temple helpless. When he came into God's presence, he came to God with nothing to offer. That is, he said to God, I don't have any good works. He didn't come in with a long list of all the things that he had done. He didn't come in with a long list of, of all of his giving records. He didn't come in with a long list of all the people that he had helped or the people that he had prayed for, or the places that he had been. No, he just came to God completely helpless with his hands empty. He says, God, I've got nothing to give you. Now, years ago, um, when my brother was in college, I don't know if it was his junior or his senior year, but he was on his way back from college, and uh, he was driving down a mountain in western Maryland, and he got clocked by a local police officer doing 102 miles per hour. 102. And uh, he had about five-hour ride from western Maryland back to our home in Delaware to think about this. What am I going to do? I mean, how, how am I going to greet my dad? What am I going to say to my dad when I get home, right? I mean, I, I, he had nothing. I'm sure he's thinking, he's thinking about my good grades. He's thinking about the baseball team. Hey, I just got my letter for varsity letter, whatever. You know, he's thinking about all the things that he could possibly say to offset this 102 speeding ticket that he got for like 700 and some odd dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and he realized, there's the only thing I got is to ask for mercy. And so he walked through the door. Hadn't seen my dad in months, right? He'd been off to college. Walked through the door, said nothing, handed my dad the speeding ticket. My dad looked at the ticket. He said, son, I want for you to walk back out that door and come back in and tell me something else. <laughs> Friends, that's how God wants for us come to him to say god this is who i am this is what i got i mean in your presence in the presence of a holy god i look like a guy who just got 102 speeding tickets and the only thing the only thing that i can offer you is to ask for your mercy i'm completely empty i got nothing and so god friends that's how god wants for us to come to him third he came to god humble he came to god helpless but he also came to God. Say, what do you mean? You see, friends, there are a lot of people in this world who from time to time feel helpless. And there are a lot of people in this world who from time to time, because of their shame or because of failures in their life, feel humble. But that does not unlock the mercy of God. You see, you've got to bring those feelings of helplessness and humility to God. You have to present yourself like the tax collector did to God. He could have felt, back in his home, feelings of humility. He could have felt feelings of helplessness back, in, back home, sitting around the dinner table late at night, thinking about his life. But he had to come and present himself to God. And friends, that's what he did. Psalm chapter 86 and verse 5, the psalmist writes, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abound, abounding in steadfast love, that's mercy, and all, get this, and to all who call upon you. That is not to all who call upon Buddha, receive God's mercy. Not to all who call upon Confucius, receive God's mercy. 
Not to all who call upon Allah receive God's mercy, but to all who call upon you, the psalmist writes. Friends, we have to present ourselves to the living God of the universe. This is why Jesus said, John chapter 6 and verse 37, all the people that the Father give me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive that person away. But we've got to come to Jesus. Folks, we've got to be careful that we're not like the people in James chapter 4 and verse 2, who James wrote about saying, you do not have because you don't have. You never present yourself. You never show up to ask for God's mercy. Friends, we need to deliberately come to God and ask for his mercy. We need to purposefully and intentionally come to him and ask for his forgiveness when we sin and ask for his strength when we're weak and ask for his power when we feel powerless and ask for his wisdom when we are perplexed and for his hope when we feel discouraged. As followers of Christ, we need to make this attitude, make this attitude of heart the way that we live every moment of every day of every year of our entire life that we come the way the tax collector came, saying, God, I don't have anything. I come with my pockets empty. I come with my life empty. I'm just casting myself upon your mercy. And I love what Psalm chapter 9, and verse 10 says, For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I love to remind God of that verse, to say, hey, God, it's me again. I'm back. I know I was just here like five minutes ago, but I'm back again. And God, I'm looking for, once again, your mercy. And you said, if I come to you with my heart humble and my heart feeling helpless, and I come to you, that you'll never burn me, that you'll never turn me away, that you will always receive those who seek you. What a great promise that is. And notice that it doesn't say that there's some limit on it, that when I come to God the 101st time in the same day, that God goes, whoop, time out, sorry, you've reached your quota, no more mercy for you. That's not what the verse says. The verse says, as often as we come to him, friends, his mercies will be renewed to us day after day, morning by morning. Um, in just a few moments, we're going to take some time to receive communion. Communion, um, the little gluten-free cracker, represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just a symbol. But it reminds us that Jesus died on the cross, that his body was broken on our behalf. And we'll take a little cup of grape juice and we'll drink that little cup of grape juice. Some people call that brunch, right? Not quite, but anyhow. But that grape juice reminds us of the blood of Jesus that was poured out on the cross for your sins and for mine. And so if you're here today and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you've never entered into a real and personal relationship with him, or perhaps you just hadn't been in church for a little while, and you feel that you've kind of drifted away from a relationship with him. Friends, during this time of communion, we ask that you bow your head. We ask that you would close your eyes, and that you re-engage that relationship with him. Ask the Lord Jesus, like the tax collector, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to enter into your heart, to become your Lord and your Savior. You do that as we bow our heads together for communion. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for speaking to us today from your word. We thank you that your mercies are new each and every day. We thank you, Lord, that you want to share those mercies with us. And that, Lord, you give us a way to unlock your mercy in our life. Lord, you know we need it. As we gather around this table today, 
Lord, may we come to you humble. May we come to you with our pockets empty, helpless. And may we come to you. Lord, pour your mercy out upon our hearts today. Flood our lives with your compassion, with your forgiveness. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.